Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, uh, lead pastor here. Really glad you're here. If you're online or you're joining us here in person, really glad you're here. And uh, we're going to do something a little different here to start off. Kind of a kind of a, we'll call this a little bit of a business of the church kind of update. Uh, I was talking to the trustees, kind of a group that kind of help oversee that side of the church, and we're just kind of talking about this. Is like there's some things that kind of like that are going on with the finances or finances or the business side of the church that we need to communicate. And I don't, I've always said I don't really necessarily want to do it on Sunday morning because one of the things that's really important to us is just mindful that just about every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday here. You don't want that to be their first Sunday. It's kind of awkward. But at the same time, because of the way our church is structured, this is just kind of the really the best um, venue for that. And so this really encouraged me to start doing this. And um, so here's where we are. We, uh, starting in July, started our new budget year, and we increased our budget need from 15000 a week to sixteen which is a stretch for us, which you know works out to about $832,000 for the year, which is a, a, something we've never hit before. And it's a stretch, and it's interesting, you know, difficult sort of to do a stretch like that in a time when the, there's just a lot of uncertainty in the economy. And I just kind of want to communicate a few things with you, kind of the why behind that. One is whatever financial stress that you're feeling or we're feeling just kind of around um, inflation, um, we feel those things as a church too and as, and as a staff, and we want to continue to help our staff meet kind of the pressures from that. But in addition to that, when you guys were around, we just kind of added this new part of the building to kind of make an investment in our youth group that has more than doubled in the last year. And in the same way, we kind of made an investment in our budget um, financially uh, in, in Matt's salary and in Caitlin's salary, who oversees our Grove kids, just really making a better financial investment into them as a staff team, just because of the work that they're doing and kind of who they are. And so that's, both of those things are big increases when you talk about making those kind of changes and just kind of the inflationary challenges that we have. And in addition, this is the kind of the thing that's going to kind of be the most, what, um, when we signed the new lease on this space that added that, we had a five-year lease with the potential for a three-year extension. Almost at the exact same time, the building was sold to a different dude. And so there's nothing that can happen with the lease that we have. But I happened to meet him on that day that we signed the lease. And he made it very clear to me in that day that he did not like the lease that we had just signed. It was very frustrating to him that it was not very much money at all. And he was very upset about it. And then he followed that up a few months ago with a phone call to make sure that I understood his very clear message. If you guys stay here beyond the lease, I'm at least going to double your rent. And, and you know, that, there's only thing he can do except just, you know, make that phone call, which is, you know, I didn't enjoy that. There's nothing you, there's nothing you can do about it, but I, as you can imagine, that is, that is a stressor. And so with that stressor, we kind of are sitting here with us and we kind of got a countdown clock about the amount of time that we're going to be able to stay here. And so there is another idea out there somewhere. We are kind of exploring options and plans out there. But whatever that is, is going to require us to kind of have a more solid financial footing than what we've had in the past. Just to kind of keep you, you know, things I know that you don't know, typically a church about our size would have a, a budget about twice of what we have. We've always been incredibly lean, and we want to continue to do that, but at the same time, it is time for us to take some significant steps forward if we are going to, I mean, since we are going to have to take some significant um, steps in the future. 
And so I wanted you to be aware of that. And I just kind of want to get you guys more on board because we talk about giving. We talk about giving here at the church. We talk about it plenty. We talk about money. And if you've been around here, you know that we do a series every year on this topic. And because it's very important, because it's something that can really undo us, unmake us. But if you've been around here for that, really kind of the thrust of the, the sermon or the message every time is you learning how to manage money, you learning how to make this spiritual discipline of giving, that is incredibly important for your life, your personal and spiritual development. It's about, it's about you. That's kind of always been kind of the drive behind it. It's never been, it's, I've never really given talks from the perspective of, I am the executive director of a nonprofit ministry that has to fundraise. Because I don't necessarily want those two things to be conflicted in your mind. When we talk about giving, oh, here he goes. Here's the example. Oh, of course, of course. Nonprofit guy, he got to talk about money again. I don't want it because it really is important to me that you have victory and, and see God move in your life in this incredibly important spiritual discipline of giving. But again, as my trustees reminded me, I am, in fact, the executive director of a nonprofit. And the only funding organ, uh, systems that we have are us. And I think it is important for us to kind of be aware of kind of the current state of where we are as a church kind of, and kind of how and what we're going to do to move forward. And so as an application point, if you would consider yourself a part of the Grove, and you aren't currently giving anything, I would encourage you to make a step towards, I now want to be an active contributor um, to this organization to kind of help it with its mission to, to, to move forward and do what God's called them to do. If you are, we'll say, kind of a sporadic giver, I would encourage you to move to what we'll just call regular giving, kind of a planned amount that I give every so often. If you are there, I would encourage you to move to what we'll call percentage giving. I'm going to give a certain percentage of my income to the church every week, every month, whatever. If you are there, I'd encourage you to take that next step towards becoming a tither. I'm going to give 10% of my income to God. And if you are already there, great. And I would just encourage you to prepare for the big ask that is coming some point in the next three to five years as we are moving forward to whatever is going to be next. And I strongly encourage this, again, like, as, like we'll talk about in our next giving series, how important it is for you personally. Um, I've never met anybody who has given generously to God and has come back and said, man, I wish I had that back. God does something really cool. And at the same time, um, your giving here really has a multiplying effect, not just in the people here, but in our community, amongst the poor, people who are experiencing homelessness, in missions groups in our area, to church planting organizations, to missions all over the world. It has a real multiplying impact. And so I just encourage you um, to, take, to take whatever that next step is as we are kind of stepping together towards uh, an exciting an uncertain future where we just need to have a more stable financial base to kind of move forward into whatever might be next. So I'll just kind of give you an update on that. If you have any questions, as always, you can let me know. And now I'm going to do something that is going to 
uh, would get me an A in a preaching class at seminary, I'm going to weave that somehow into an intro into the sermon of what we're going to talk about. Because there's a, there's a weirdness that I feel when we talk about money, and there's a weirdness that you feel when you hear someone talk about money, because there's a, there's a weirdness to it, especially those of us who kind of come from another, another, another church-type background, maybe something we grew up with, or, or something where it's just like, where you hear this pressure, it's like, you have to tithe. And, and, and there feels this kind of this pressure, this, I have to do it. Like, almost like God has his foot on my neck. And I, 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 never, I, never, I never want that. I don't want anybody to think, I know that I'm associating somehow with people that put all of this pressure on you have to do something. And again, this is something I was talking with the trustees about. I was like, bro, you are, you are so chill when you kind of talk about things. You, I don't know how many clicks to the left you would have to go to be someone who is so intense that you're going to feel that. And I was like, okay, I get it, I get it. But even still, as I'm talking about it right now, I'm like, you still like me though, right? Because, because there's, there's, there's this, because I don't want that. And it's not just around giving. There's just this pressure. There's this idea out there that God's going to be really, really mad at you if you don't. You had better do this or else. That kind of brings just an unnecessary amount of guilt and, 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 and shame around being who it is that God has called us to be. And the reality of it is, is that everybody here in this room, I would imagine, if not everybody, almost everybody, is here today because on some level, like I want to be good. I want to be better. I want to live a life that is more honoring to God than I have in the past. Like there's some inspiration that I have to, to do and to be better. That, that is why we are here. And I think this idea that we have around what I have to do, I think if we could somehow get a good theological and personal understanding of really what God has to say about this matter, it would really, really help us. And so we're going to be talking, we're in a series talking about the fruit of the spirit. And today we're going to be talking about goodness and kindness. And really kind of goodness really is kind of this overarching idea. More than some of the other ones, love is also one of these. It's kind of an overarching idea that kind of encompasses a lot of these things. And goodness is what you think it is. I mean, it's, I'm not going to try to be clever here and kind of give you some different definition of goodness, like some, well, the Greek word says. And if you look at it in the Hebrew, like nothing like that. What do you think goodness means? It's that, right? I'm but good. I'm just trying to be good. Like a pure heart, like a good person from good motives with a good heart, a pure heart doing good things. Kindness is just really, we'll just call it a subset of that. If you're a logic, math person, you understand like what a Venn diagram is. You got the, everything here is goodness, and in the middle is kindness. Anything that's kind is good, right? Kindness is simply goodness directed at somebody. In order to be kind, I have to be kind to you, but I can be good by myself, okay? And this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to be good, but they're just all of these pressures and all of these things. And I think just a lot of false ideas that we get into our head that are really holding us back. And so more than maybe some of these other weeks have been, this is going to be a little more theological in nature because there are some important theological principles around goodness 
and around who it is that God has called us to be that we're going to have to put together. They're going to seem, they're going to seem at times not, not contradictory, but really hard to put together. But if we can put these three different ideas together, then I think that we're just going to, we're going to find ourselves a year from now, three years from now, five years, 10 years from now, looking back, it's like, I'm gooder than I used to be. Like I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting I'm getting better. I said gooder in the first service. It's like, you said that because Heidi's not here. She wouldn't, she's an English major. She wouldn't say, you won't say gooder if she's here. Well, now you challenged me. Now I got to say gooder. I said it three times now with Heidi in the room. Anyways, you got to get gooder, right? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get better. I can look back. If I can put these three ideas together, then, then I will be, able, in the future, I'll be able to look back in this moment and say, I, I see what God is doing as I'm, as I'm growing and getting better. So let's go back and kind of look more fully at this big picture passage of Galatians chapter five that contains these, these fruit of the spirit in it. And the issue that Paul is addressing here with the Galatians is there are new church, new Christians, and Paul left and kind of left the kind of a group in charge. And what seemed to happen is there was this other group of people that would follow behind Paul after he left and come in and teach, oh, you guys are new to the faith. Let me tell you something Paul probably didn't tell you. What you, he told you all these things about Jesus, which is good, but you also need to understand, you need to obey what the law says in the Old Testament. And, it's, and, and, they would, and would highlight a few in particular things that they had to do. If you want to be in God's good favor, if you really want to have a relationship with God, there are certain things that you must do. And so these people have come and kind of infected the, the Galatians. And Paul has been writing about this for this whole letter, and it's pretty angry about it. He's angry, obviously, at the people who are teaching the false things, but there's moments here where he's really angry at the Galatians, like, why are you falling for this? I mean, did we not talk about what grace is? How is it that you're falling for this? And so he's talking a lot about the freedom that we have in Christ and what Jesus' death on the cross really means, and we step into that in Galatians chapter 5, starting verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Real interesting idea here that Paul says, like Jesus set you free. You're free now. You are free. You used to be kind of under bondage because of sin or sin controlled you. Now he set you free. And so now you are free. So the image here is freedom. And what Paul says is very explicitly a few verses earlier. He's like, you are set free. And he did not set you free so that you could be in bondage to something else later. I'm not freeing you from sin so that you can be in bondage to these rules. Jesus set you free so that you would be free. And so this is an important idea. You are free. But then Paul immediately follows this up with, but that does not mean, freedom does not mean you can do whatever you want. You should not use your freedom to kind of indulge your desires. In fact, you should use it to love each other. Verse 16. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So he's describing this battle that's happening between the Spirit and the flesh, this thing that's happening inside you to to kind of pull you in these two directions. Am I going to just do whatever I want? Or am I going to let God's Spirit lead me into becoming someone better? Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so he sets this contrast. You kind of got these two choices. You're free. What are you going to do with this freedom? Are you going to indulge kind of your basic core desires, the thing that got you in trouble with God in the first place? Are you going to just indulge this thing that says, I'm going to do whatever I want? If you do, it's going to take you this way. Anger, dissensions, hatred, discord, selfish ambition. Or are you going to let God direct you someplace different? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so we've got this choice to make. And again, there are three really important theological ideas that we're going to have to put together in order to, I think, really successfully live a life that moves in the direction that the Spirit is wanting us to go. And the first one is this. Goodness is not required of us. It's not required. Not required. Paul makes this abundantly clear all throughout Uh, Galatians 5 and really all throughout this entire book. You are not required to be good in order to become a Christian, in order to receive Christ, in order to get to heaven, in order to be saved, whatever vernacular or Christian language you want to use. You are not required to be good either before you become to Christ or after. Being good is not a requirement. And again, I think there's this, there's this idea that we have, and, and, and it really is for, it's, it's something we do, like, hey, you need to tie. Well, do I have to? I want, we need people to serve in the kids. Well, do I have to? Well, you need to come to church. You need to be in a small group. Well, do I, do I have to? It is a very, it's a very four or five-year-old kind of questioning. Right? Okay, I need you to go clean your room. Well, do I have to? It's like, and the kid says that to you, or worse, what, the, what, are, what are kids, like, especially like eighth grade, ninth grade, what they do to our teachers? I feel bad for teachers sometimes. Like, they're up there trying to teach these kids this really important concept. Is this going to be on the test? If I were a teacher, my answer would all, it is now. And the more you say this, the worse that test is going to get. Or you can just let me teach you some stuff. Right? It's just like, I'm not going to do it unless I, quote, have to. Unless the consequence is severe enough, I'm not going to do it. And so we ask these sorts of questions, and we're like, and this is why I think pastors are very hesitant to kind of talk about freedom. And Paul talks about freedom a lot. And you don't hear about it a lot because it's like, gosh, you are free to do whatever you want to do. Like, I'm afraid, like, then I would close my eyes and then five seconds later, you're all gone, right? Well, who's gonna, who's gonna work the toddlers, 
right? I mean, there's this, there's this fear, like who's going to give if I, if I tell you that you're free? And so we have to kind of imply this sense of obligation, but really we're not required. The thing that God says is required for you to be in a relationship with him is not goodness. It never is. Goodness is never talked about with respect to how I can be saved, how I can be in a relationship with God. In fact, the word that is used is different. It's righteousness, which is different. Goodness is kind of this pureness of heart where I'm doing good things. Righteousness really has more of a perfection. Are you a lawbreaker or not? Have you now or have you ever broken the law? If, if so, then you are unrighteous. If, you've, if you have always been perfect, then you are righteous. So no, matter of, no amount of goodness that you can generate right now will ever make you righteous in the past. If I, have, if I have sinned, then I am unrighteous. And no amount of goodness at any point along the way can undo this. It's not a scales. Am I, am, have I done more good things than bad things? It is, have I done some, something unrighteous? So in order for me to be in a relationship with God, I have to be righteous. We think, well, I can't do that. Well, this is where Jesus comes in. Jesus is righteousness and gives his, his righteousness to you. And so all of the work that needs to be done, either before and after, I give my life to God through Jesus. All of the work that is necessary to be done was done by Jesus. And now you are free. He freed you. And so you no longer live and act as if someone who is under some sort of obligation. You are no longer under any obligation because anything that you are obliged to do, Jesus did on your behalf. This is what it truly means to put your faith in Jesus Christ. I can never be good enough. I can never be righteous. Only Jesus can. I put my faith and trust in him that he will give what he has and give it to me. I give my life. I put my faith in. I allow him to save me. Again, all of these different terms. It is something that Jesus did. So I'm not required beforehand to be good. And after the fact, it's not a payment plan. I have to pay him back. I do not, I'm not required to be good. Okay? Because if we get this wrong, then you will live a life where you never feel like you're good enough. And you may feel that. You may feel, I cannot come to church enough times. I cannot give enough money. I cannot do enough good things to feel like I'm good enough. Because if you're trying to be good enough, you will never be good enough because that was never the goal. You can't be good enough. So stop trying. Stop trying to be good so that you can be good enough. That is an impossible goal, okay? So goodness is not required of us. And here's where we're gonna split hairs here a little bit. Goodness is not required of us, but goodness is expected of us. And this is what Paul says, you're free, but that doesn't mean just do whatever you want to do. Because really, again, that's toddler talk. Oh, so if I don't clean my room, you're not going to kick me out of the family? Well, then I don't have to clean my room. And again, that, that's, hey, I need, I need you to go brush your teeth. Well, do I have to? You're kind of like, well, I mean, I mean, I, I, mean, I guess, I mean, Wash your hands. Well, do I have to? It's like, well, I mean, I guess, you don't, I guess you don't have to. But if you don't, look where you would go. You don't want to be someone who doesn't 
brush their teeth. You don't want to be someone who doesn't wash their hands. You're going to get sick all the time. There's all these things that if you don't do these things, you are going to go down a very dark, disturbing path. I mean, I guess theoretically, Paul says, you could use your freedom as a chance to indulge the flesh. And then where are you going to end up? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, dissensions, factions, envy. I don't want to end up over there. So do I need to wash my hands? Of course you need to wash your hands. Do I need to brush my teeth? Of course you need to brush your teeth. Do I need to come to church? Of course you need to come to church. Do I need to give? Of course you need to give. Of course you, of course you do. Do I need to be kind to each other? Yes. Do I need to love? Yes. Of course, you, of course you do. I mean, when we read these things from the Bible and they're in the command form, they're commands and they're commands from God. Do, do I have to obey a command from God? Of course you, of, of course. Of course, I, I'm obliged to do this. God has said I should do this. And so I, and so I, and so I will do it. Not because of there is some large looming threat of his foot on his neck, but because the designer of the universe says, this is where life is. This is what you need to do. This is, this is what is expected of you. And again, we act like this is so complicated. It's like, it is either I have to do it or there's big trouble. God's going to get me or... I can do whatever I want to do. When really our world is full of such incredible examples of this, the most notable being the relationship that we, have with, we had with our parents or the relationship we have with our kids if we have them. Do they have to, of course they have to brush their teeth. I'm not going to kick you out of the family if you don't brush your teeth. I'm going to, tell you, I'm going to give you a different last name. You have to live in a trash can. You still be part of the family. You're mine. And our relationship is not conditioned on your obedience. Do I have to brush my teeth? Yeah, you better brush your teeth. Now the relationship, break, I mean, the metaphor breaks down a little bit because you've got a stronger enforcing, a stronger enforcing mechanism than God has said that he is giving to us. You are much more strongly supervising. God is a little bit more, he's just a little more natural consequences. You don't brush your teeth. I'm like, then your, your teeth start to rot and you're like, God, why'd you do this to me? And it's like, well, God tells you, this is how you should live. This is where goodness is. This is where life is. And I go this way and I end up in a bad place. Like, God, why did you do this to me? It is, it, is, it is expected. I am a follower of God. I am someone who puts my faith and trust in him. I'm, gonna do, I'm going to do the things that he asked me to do. And if, and if we get this wrong, if we get this wrong, then our lives will just be a wreck. Then we start being these people who redefine what good is. I'm just going to redefine good. And I'm going to define good as this collective ideas that me and this group come up with. And we look, there are a lot of people out there think they're doing some good out there in the world. And the good that they're doing in the world looks a lot more like angry dissensions and jealousy and rage than it does anything that resembles what God does. And so when I think about kind of, well, I mean, who I want to be and what I've got to say, you know, it looks a lot more like the flesh. And it doesn't look like what the spirit is doing. And so if, if I decide that I'm just going to go my own way and do what I think is best for me, 
then we'll end up in a really, really dark place. So if I, if I, if I believe that I'm completely and totally obligated to it, then I'll never feel like I'm good enough. But if I feel like I don't have to do anything, you're going to end up in a really dark place and having wrecked your life. So I put these two ideas together. God does not require of me, but it is expected that this is how I'm going to live. Well, how do I do it? Well, this is the last one. Is that goodness is something that the Holy Spirit does in us. And that's kind of the whole point of this passage. He's talking about the, 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 the deeds of the flesh are obvious and the fruit of the spirit is this. And if you indulge in the flesh, then this is going to happen. And if you, indul- if you follow the spirit, it's going to happen. And he talks about this war that is waging inside of you. And if you've been around long enough, you've probably heard me talk about this. This is very often um, illustrated in pop culture, certainly in classic vintage cartoons, as an angel and a demon on the shoulder who are kind of talking to you back and forth. Like the most recent one I've ever seen is Emperor's New Groove, and that is not recent anymore. But there's this idea like the, the hero's trying to make an make a, a important decision, and the angel that looks like him is trying to get him to do good, and the devil is trying to make him do bad, and kind of goes back and forth and usually punches the angel and does the bad thing, right? It's, it's what Bugs Bunny always did, and some of you aren't even old enough to who Bugs Bunny is. Anyway, that's a shame. Anyways... It's not. It's not an external battle between an angel and a demon. It's described here as an internal battle between the flesh and the spirit. And the flesh is actually you. The battle is between you and the Holy Spirit. And, all of, and your instincts are bad. Your instincts are taking you the wrong way. Your voice in this is bad. And it's one of those things that I, if I say out loud, you're going to try to fight me. If I were to say to you, hey, guess what? All of your instincts are bad. You're like, I'm going to fight him right now. But if I were to ask you, kind of, hey, take some moment right now and say, hey, your instincts have, where you decide, I'm just going to do whatever it is I want. Have you said that has led you to good places or bad places? I mean, okay. You just don't want me to say it. But the reality of it is, our instincts take us the wrong place. Our flesh is pulling us towards this, towards anger, jealousy, dissensions, and the like. But the Spirit of God, love, joy, peace, goodness, the pure of heart. This is something that only God can do. Maybe if you tried your very, very best, you could do a few good things. Can you make yourself pure of heart? That's something only God can do. That is a spiritual work that God is wanting to do inside of you. It is not something that you can just decide And so if we don't get this right, then you're just going to spend your whole life frustrated that I just can't be good. But it's because we're trying to do something that the Spirit must do. So in this internal monologue, how do I allow the Spirit's voice to be the loudest and the one that is leading the life? And there's always just a couple of really simple things that I just always want to communicate when we're talking about this. If you've been around here a while, you've heard me say them a lot, and I hope you'll hear them this time. Maybe this will be the first time you've heard these things. The first one is this. In the internal monologue that happens inside, there is one voice when you do something wrong. There is one voice that says, you are a terrible person. I can't believe you did that. 
No one likes you. God won't like you. There's that voice, the voice that brings a lot of shame. And very often we attach that to God and that's just not God's voice. That's a terrible voice. And you've got to learn to shut that one down because there's a whisper behind it that says, you shouldn't have done that. Here's a better way forward. God is never going to decide that your value and his love for you is less because of what you've done. He will tell you what you've done is wrong. So if we can just learn to at least just stop listening to that shaming voice, then the Spirit's voice that says, again, shouldn't have done that. Here's our best way forward. Then we can start to hear God's voice a little more clearer. And again, the best way to give the Spirit more voice in your life is to do the things that we know that the Spirit wants us to do, to give him more voice. I'm gonna read God's word more so that I know more of what God thinks. I'm gonna pray so I can interact with God more. I'm gonna surround myself with people who are like-minded so they can kind of encourage me. We can speak God's words back to each other. All of these things makes God's voice louder inside of us. Because we, again, we are all here because we want to be better. And we're a little confused sometimes. Sometimes we're doing it for the wrong reason. I'm trying to get better so that God will finally accept me as if we're under some obligation, which we're not. And we need to experience the freedom that comes from Jesus Christ. Or maybe we're rebelling so much against that that we think we can just do whatever we want and our life is going in a totally bad way and we're not sure why. Because we've lost sight of the fact that these are God's commands and we're obliged to follow them. Or maybe we're frustrated because we're just, we're just spinning in a circle, wondering why I can't fix myself, which is never where God said that goodness was going to come from. It was going to come from the regeneration, a new thing that the Holy Spirit was going to do in your heart. Let's give him a louder voice. Allow him to do it so that we can be good. Let's pray. God, I thank you for all these awesome people, bringing them here. And God, we do, we all have a desire to be better. Sometimes we're not really clear about what that means or how to do it, but God, we're here. Yet again, trying to hear from you and trying to improve our lives. And so God, I pray that, that we would walk out of here with a greater, more, clear sense of what the gospel is and the freedom that Jesus' death on the cross means for us and how everything that we, are ob- that we, we have to do that is required of us, all the requirements, Jesus did them for us. And God, I pray we would walk out here with that freedom but God, that we wouldn't abuse it, but that we would really desire to live lives that honor you. So then we would learn to listen to your spirit and that we would allow him to do that work in us. And we love you, God. And it's in your son's name that we pray, amen.